ready to get in the Word? Uh, we're going to be in Luke 22 again this morning, so go ahead and make your way over to Luke chapter 22. Um, now we're just going to catch you up real quick. This is, this is right on the tail end. Where we're beginning is right at the end of uh, what is the Passover meal and, and the, in the institution, the first Lord's Supper uh, that Jesus is instituting. And we're picking up right there. And there's an intentional reason where we're before your, your Bible probably has the, the header. And that's because, the, the, well, the two will tie together. You'll see it a little bit later. But let's, let's just jump in and read uh, Luke 22, uh, beginning in verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could, it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have, been, who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel." The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Hey, Heavenly Father, this is your holy word, which we come to this morning. And whenever we come to your word, we are asking you to teach us, to correct any ignorance we may have, to strengthen our convictions, and to bring us into obedience in any area we are, where we are slow to do so. And so, Holy Spirit, please help us to see ourselves clearly this morning. And make us more like Jesus, as only you can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so in these first two verses that we're seeing here, we're, we're recognizing again, right, that, that Judas's betrayal <clears throat> is part of God's sovereign plan. That's what's working out here. It's, it's exactly as Peter said much later at Acts 2.23. He says, this Jesus, as he's preaching uh, to, to, the, uh, to the, the Jewish leaders, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And yet, what we learn here in the Scripture is that Judas is still responsible for his, his own free and sinful decision in, in, in this act here. God's sovereignty in, in no way invalidates man's responsibility. That's a, a reality. Now, now, you read this, and you might have this, this sense that you just kind of want to uh, absolve Judas, right? He can't be held responsible for this. He can't be held guilty because God's sovereignty. But, but don't do that, and here's why. Uh, it, it's because while this is not simple to understand intellectually sometimes, and while it can seem just like a mind-boggling mystery how both of these things are true, it is very clear in Scripture uh, that this is what the Word of God teaches, right? Uh, and you see it there in verse 22. Woe to that man, Judas, by whom Jesus is betrayed. Now, I, I hopefully don't have to tell you that woe, woe is not a good thing, right? Uh, rarely is woe a good thing. Woe, in, in this sense, is divine judgment, and, and, and woe is, is Judas in this situation. Now, you, you know the rest of the story. Later, Judas regrets what he did, 
Uh, but he does not go to Jesus. He does not repent of his sins. And, and in fact, in despair, he ends up hanging himself. Uh, and, and his whole story, the whole situation, teaches us something, two things. Uh, first of all, it teaches us uh, that this is a grim warning of what it means to, to oppose God and, and what it means to, to be unwilling to bring your sin to Christ for forgiveness. Now, second thing it teaches us is, is that you and me and, and everyone on the planet, all of us, right, we, we can never, ever use God's sovereignty as an excuse for our own sinful thoughts and deeds. We cannot say that I am innocent because this is the sovereign will of God. We will be held responsible for our sin. Now, sure, it, it's true. In, in God's providence, some have life easier. That's just reality. Some are, are born into good and godly families and taught things from a young age. Some are born with, with different means at their disposal. But we are all held responsible by God for the decisions we actually make in life. Which raises the question real quick. How do you feel about the decisions you're, you're making in life right now? I'm not saying digging up all the old, you know, things that are going on in your life, but how do you feel about that right now? Um, and and, and it, it's a warning to us, right? Because we don't want to fall under a, a similar woe to that which Jesus declares on Judas. We, we don't want that to be reality. So that's one question to be thinking of. Um, and, and so then it's... It, it's not a surprise to any of us as this goes on, right, that, um, that the apostles are, are wondering out loud, well, which one of us is the betrayer? Uh, you can only imagine being in that room as everyone looks around and just, well, I want you to know it's, it's not me. Uh, and somehow, as each gave reasons why they are not the betrayer, here's why I'm not the betrayer, eventually that whole thing just snowballs into this argument about which one of us is the greatest, and maybe that's it, I'm the greatest, so there's no way it's me. Uh, you know, who's the best? This is an age-old argument. Uh, I, every time I see my, my older brother, Greg, he's the middle brother, um, and I'm the youngest, we, we argue about who is the best athlete. Now, you, you see me, right? We're having an argument about, about which one of us is the greatest athlete. He, he always recalls beating me in basketball, and I always remind him that you didn't score a single point that didn't deserve a favorite foul, and you know that. Uh, or he'll recall, you know, beating me in tennis one time ever. And, I, and I'll, I'll remind him, you know, you, you lied about every close call in that game ever. Uh, or he'll recall beating me in a game of golf. And I'll remind him, you know, the, the elbow wedge is not a legal thing to use. The elbow wedge is this, in case you're wondering out of the woods. Uh, we're in our 40s. We have children. We have jobs. We haven't played a game against each other in 20 years, and for some dumb reason, every time we're on the phone or see each other, we end up in this dumb argument about which one of us is the best at sports. Uh, arguments of greatness, right? They're, they're just common everywhere. Surely I'm not the only one who falls into these kind of silly things. Uh, but it's still surprising to us to see the apostles doing this, right? It's one thing for us to be doing this, but for the, these are the apostles. These are men who have seen Jesus up close. They have seen how great Jesus is. They have seen him do miracles. They have uh, seen that he is literally perfect. They've just had Passover with Jesus moments before. I mean, can you imagine in this moment, and, and here they are giving reasons for why they are the greatest. Um, you know, you, you kind of begin to wonder. What, I mean, Peter's maybe saying, you know, I, I'm the first one Jesus called. Clearly, I'm the best. I've been here the longest. Uh, maybe Matthew chimes in, yeah, but uh, you walked away from what, fishing? 
uh, I left behind massive amounts of money. I'm, pro- I'm the best. Look what I've given up for this. Or, or, or you know, James chimes in with, uh, guys, I was invited to the very exclusive transfiguration event. And, and you know, quickly, Peter and John are jumping in. Uh, me too. We weren't there. Uh, that's a good point, though. We're the greatest. Uh, and, and then John reminds him, right? I, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'm going to remind you about this six times when I write my gospel later. <laughs> Who knows what they're actually saying, but it's things like that, right? Uh, and the saddest part is this is not the first time that they've done this, that, right? Back in chapter 9, they were, they were having this argument, and at the time, if you remember, Jesus uh, gets their attention and he pulls a, a child alongside him and, and explains to them, listen, the, the greatest uh, is the one who's the least. And so this, this is not a new idea to them, and, and yet here they are falling into it again. Now, their whole argument is, is just ridiculous, it's, it's inappropriate, it, and, and the reason is, um, well, for a number of reasons. I'll, I'll give you a couple. Uh, the first reason is, well, it, it's kind of like my brother and I, right? Uh, if you'd ever seen us play sports, your first response would be, you, you both are, you're really, really bad at this stuff. Uh, you have no business, either of you, claiming greatness. Not at all. And if, and if we're honest, the apostles were not that great. Now, now hear me out. Um, they're not that great because they constantly are, are misunderstanding Jesus' point at times. Um, they ask dumb questions that you're like, how do they not get that? Like, they, I mean, uh, they, they're selfish that we see on a number of occasions, uh, right? They're, they're not these amazing, great guys. They're ordinary men that the Lord is, is using in his service, but, but none of them deserve to be claiming greatness by even normal standards, okay? Uh, the second reason this argument is false is that they have just partake of the Lord's Supper, right? This, this uh, uh, sacrament that the Lord's instituting, and, and it's representing, right, this connection they have with Jesus and with each other, and, and here they are wanting to be singled out as the greatest in, in the room. Uh, it's important. Everyone needs to know just how great I am. And, and still, the most pathetic aspect of their claims is, uh, you know, of being the greatest apostle, the greatest man in the room at this moment, is that every single one of these men, get your head around this, every single one of these men is going to run away and hide in fear when Jesus is arrested this very night. These, I'm the greatest, they're all saying, and they are all going to abandon him before the night's over. Not not a one of them is going to look great in just a few hours. Now, before we rush in and we're so harsh on the apostles, uh, you know, because we're like, man, I'm better than the apostles. I didn't know that. Now I know that. Uh, don't do that, right? But remember that we're like this too. We really are. I mean, you think about how quick we are to, to tear down fellow Christians just, just so we can show how great we are. We, we spend an inordinate amount of time focusing on the theological errors of uh, people we know and disagree with, uh, well-known Christian leaders, local friends that we, we, we might just deem less holy than ourselves for whatever reason we were holding up, right? We, we, we tell ourselves that we're more faithful, that we're more godly, that we're more theologically correct than people around us, and it, and it may be true. It might be absolutely true, but then we begin to pridefully think, you know, within this group, I, I, am, I am the greatest. There is no better Christian than me in this group. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and be honest, there are times or specific areas in your life also where you just want people to know that you're great at it. Maybe it's music or intellectual or sports or wealth or maybe just that you are amazing at business. You can turn anything into cash somehow and you're just gifted at that. Maybe you, you want people to know just how creative or funny or athletic or, or artistic you are. 
I mean, kids, you, you know, you, you, it's important. You know, my brothers and sisters need to know that I am the greatest at Mario Kart. No one can beat me. Nobody. Uh, in ministry, we want people to acknowledge that we're a good teacher, preacher. Uh, in parenting, we, we want to be recognized by someone out there for great parenting, right? And so you begin to kind of mumble to yourself or, or say to someone, I mean, look at her terrible children. I'm a pretty good mother. You might not speak that part, but you're thinking that part. We, we might believe that we're humbled, right? But then we begin to drop these small little comments here and there to make people know our greatness or to know someone else's lack of greatness. Or, you know, maybe we just get bitter and depressed when, when someone gets recognized for something and you're thinking, I did that. I do that better than them. I do that more often than them. And, and yet they're getting recognized for that? You, you, you know this is happening when you start to criticize that person in little friendly ways, right? I mean, he's really not that good at sales. He, I mean, mostly he just kisses up to the boss, you know, or I guess, I guess she's okay, but she can't really even carry a tune if you think about it. Um, another way that we do this is when we, we, just, we can't rejoice when someone else is, is recognized, when someone else is promoted. Uh, and, and the thing we begin to realize is just that the sheer amount of envy and jealousy in the world is just irrefutable proof that pride is alive and well in the hearts of men, women, and children today. Now, notice here Jesus' response. He, he doesn't do what most parents would do here, right? He doesn't exasperately, you know, shout at them, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? Why are you so selfish? He didn't do anything like that. Parents, there's something for us to learn here. Instead, Jesus teaches them again. He teaches them again. He, he responds to their delusional proclamations of greatness with this, this interesting, odd statement in verse 25. Jesus says, look at it there, uh, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. He's, he's describing this, this Gentile, this worldly view of, of greatness. And, and the, what's going on here is he, he's describing that these, these, these kings, these people in power, uh, they, they not only want to be in power, they want everyone to, to recognize how great they are. They, they want the title of benefactor. That's the point of it being written there, right? It's, it's not just okay that you are a benefactor that you, you give, uh, but that people know that. Even if they're not truly generous, they want to be known by that reputation. They want to be praised. In, in other words, the apostles' problem is, is sadly still our problem today. We have a worldly view instead of a godly view of what greatness is. And we do because it just soaks in from the culture around us. I mean, think about it. Who are, who are the great people in our, our culture? The, the most wealthy, the most famous, the owners of big tech, right? Those guys, uh, movie stars, professional athletes, famous singers, high-ranking politicians. You know, all those people who, who have someone who's going to, like, cook for them and clean for them and, and, and serve them in every way. And, and Jesus is saying, that's how the world views greatness. Absolutely, that's how they do it. And then verse 26, we see the transition, but not so with you. He's saying, you're, you're not like that. Because I'm not like that. We're not like that. This is not so with, with you. Um, it, it's kind of like when our, when our kids were, were first hearing their peers saying, oh my God. And, and one of them came home saying it, and, and we had to teach them. We're like, oh, where did that come from? Uh, and, and they're... Your peers are going to talk like that, but, but not so with you. You don't have to stop everyone, but not so with you. you, you don't, we don't use that expression because it makes light of God's 
name. And the third commandment forbids us from using God's name in such a disrespectful way. And, and that's not who we are. And, and so Jesus is teaching them that that's not how we view greatness. That might be the world's view, but that's not how we view greatness. And, and notice, Jesus doesn't say it, it doesn't matter who's the greatest. He doesn't say who cares or, you know, who's the greatest. He doesn't even say don't try to be great. He says, you want to be the greatest? Here is how you be truly great. You see it there in verse 26. Look at that. He says, first, uh, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, which might sound strange to us because we all know, right? You look and whoever the youngest in the family is, they, they have the best life. They don't do much of anything and they get everything. Um, oldest kids will confirm this. But when Jesus says to become the youngest here, it's, it's in a cultural context where, where those younger respected those who were older, okay? Uh, sadly, that's not something widespread in our culture today. It should be. Uh, but, but the younger would even stand up when an older man or woman entered a room. The, the young would serve those who were older, and the youngest did jobs that nobody else wanted to do. In fact, that's how King David, right, as a boy, found himself shepherding sheep. It wasn't like, David, you get first choice. What do you want to do? I'm going to go shepherd sheep, I guess. Uh, no, that was the job nobody else wanted to do. And, and as, as the youngest of three boys myself, I can absolutely understand that the, the worst jobs sometimes fall on the youngest. Back then, uh, you remember when, man, y'all are so young, some of you. Old people, do you remember when TVs had antennas on them? Rabbit ears? And there's always one person that had to go and hold the, ra- the rabbit ears, and, and then the TV, you could see it, and then when they tried to walk away from it, you couldn't see it again. And I remember as a kid, like, I would try to see the TV, and they're like, no, don't move, we can't see anything. And so you'd spend the whole show or whatever it was just holding these antennas. I mean, that's the kind of responsibility that was given to the youngest, right? Um, and, and Jesus' point here is, is made more clear than even in the second half of, of verse 26 when he says, you know, if, if you want to be great, then, then the one who leads must be as one who serves, you hear that, Christian. You, you want to be great, be as one who serves. Yeah, lead, but as a leader, be one who serves. The, the, the world might determine greatness by who has servants, but not so with you. The, the greatest is the one who serves others. And this is true in every domain of your life, including the, the place you work, your, your place in the army or on campus or in the organizations that you serve with. It, because you are united to Christ, you, you are to serve your family, you are to serve your coworkers, your classmates. You, you may have titles and positions, that's not bad, that's good. But do not lord our positions, our, title, our titles over those Instead, we continue to look for ways that we might serve others. In fact, often in ways that might just surprise people. Uh, And and when we pursue God's view of greatness by extending kindness and service to those that are equal or below us in position, especially, we, we we demonstrate what God is like to an unbelieving world. Jerem Bars wisely advised just this when, when he said, Christian, above all, Uh, Christians, above all people, should be aware that we need to earn respect from unbelievers, this is the important part, by our life of service to the community. It's vastly different. Now then, Jesus gives an example in a weird way here, right? Verse 27, look at it, Jesus says, "For, for who's the greater? The one who reclines at table... Yeah, at table, not the table, uh, or one who serves. And if you're one of the apostles and you hear this, you've got to be thinking that, that, 
that just sounds like a quick question. I mean, I feel like I know what you want me to say. And, and maybe that's why Jesus actually answers them immediately, right? He fills it in saying, is it not the one who reclines at the table? And you're like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, and, and here Jesus is saying, though, that's, that's the commonly held worldly idea. But let me challenge that idea by pointing out another reality here, right? He, he does this when he says next, but I am among you as the one who serves. Huh. In other words, are, are you greater than me is what Jesus is asking or assuming here. And, and, and everyone in the room, right, everyone in the room knows that it is Jesus, the one who has served them, who is the greatest. And, and this is what turns their idea of greatness just upside down. Yeah, you, you are the greatest and you have served us. Right, that Jesus is the greatest. He, he is the only morally perfect person who ever lived. If, if obedience to the law and perfect godliness were bowling, Jesus bowled 300, and no one else even came close, anywhere close. And, and, and again, Jesus has been serving the apostles since the first day he has called them uh, to discipleship. He has taught them, he has healed them, he has fed them, he has led them, he has corrected and trained them. Uh, and John 13, right? John 13 tells us about what's happening just before the Lord's Supper, just before the Passover meal. Uh, and, and Jesus did the lowly service of, of washing the apostles' feet. And, and that's the kind of service that just blew them away. If you remember, Peter's like, I don't, this is not good, don't do this. And Jesus explains it to him. He's like, okay, do this. Uh, anyway, um, and, and, and he serves him in that way. He takes that lowly position. And later, later here, right, soon, Jesus is, is going to serve them all the way to death by bearing their sins upon the cross. He's done that for each and every one of us who have faith in Christ as well. So, so, so let's not argue about how great we are. And instead, let us learn to serve others like our Savior teaches. Over a, a hundred years ago, J.C. Ryle uh, he's often called the last Puritan. He, he wrote the, uh, of this passage, he said this. He says, the hero in Christ's army is not the man who has rank and title and dignity and chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. It's the man who is not concerned about himself but about other people. It's the man who is kind to everyone, tender to everyone, thoughtful towards everyone, e even helpful and sympathetic. This is the truly great man in God's sight. This is the man who is walking most closely in the steps of Christ. Servant or servants, that's actually one of our identifiers as, as Christians. I, uh, I noticed, I was curious, and so I went and looked at them all. And the vast majority of, of New Testament letters begin with the author identifying themselves as, as one of two things. Either a servant or an apostle, which we know is a servant. Uh, Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant. Jude 1, the only one. Uh, Jude, a servant. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1, right? It's not the start of a letter, but there, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. This all got me thinking. Do you, you ever refer to yourself as a servant of Christ? Even internally, like I'm a servant of God, I'm a servant of Christ. I, I, I can't say that I, I do. It's just not all the different terms, you know, a Christian, a believer, a follower of the way, a disciple. 
But a servant is, is rarely one of those terms that comes to mind. And I, I think it's, it's something we should do because if no, no other reason, it reminds us uh, that Christ has called us to be to the true greatness of, of willing servanthood. You who are in Christ are a servant of Christ. That's reality. Now, we're going to circle back to the serving here at the end, but, but first I want us to understand these, these last three verses. And, and first of all, do you, uh, do you see how kind our Lord is in verse 28? Um, this is amazing. I mean, here's Jesus. He knows that tonight these guys are all going to abandon him, just going to abandon him. Uh, and he still graciously and genuinely, this is not sarcastic, genuinely compliments them for their past loyalty. Uh, what a great statement from the Lord to his apostles. Verse 28, he says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Right? That's, that's who you are. He, he's grateful for their enduring the travel of living like homeless people. He, he's grateful for all that they've left behind, uh, their sources of income, those kind of things. Jesus knows, right, that they've, they've suffered hostility because they've followed him as, as they've walked along with him. Not as bad as he has, but they've certainly suffered it. And Jesus knows these men are not perfect. And he, and he models how to encourage a fellow believer here. He didn't list off, here's all your terrible things, guys. Let me show you how perfect I am. He, he, he actually focuses in here on their perseverance and celebrates it for a moment. And and this is a significant thing. After all, right, John 6, verse 66, creepy way to put that, but uh, right, the number 666. Anyway, John 666, we read of Jesus. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of them left, but but not these men. And, And Jesus is saying to them now, you know, many proved not to be loyal, but you have remained loyal to me. And this is after correcting their pride-fueled, you know, arguments of, of greatness, right? Our, our Lord is just so gracious. Now, now listen, what, whatever the world might say of you, right, whatever the world might want to call you, be sure to remain loyal to Jesus. That's, that's where our loyalty belongs. L- live in such a way that you can say to Jesus what Peter says in John 21, 17, when he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He means that. He means that. Now then, in our last two verses today, Jesus says this. He says, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, uh, first of all, those of you, I, I, I get this question. I got one recently, but I get it often from people that say, you know what, I'm not sure heaven doesn't sound great to me and that bothers me because I don't want to just stand around and sing all day. And, and there's this constant reminder, that's not, that's not what, you know, eternity is. It's just standing around singing all day. Uh, right? Notice here, if you're one of those people that keeps struggling with that idea, notice here, there will be eating and drinking in the kingdom. Amen? A lot more than that, but that's there. Okay, so notice that. Uh, Secondly, there is a place at Christ's table for anyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus Christ. There is. Further, uh, this is all spoken to Jesus' apostles, primarily to them, secondarily to us. It's recorded for that reason. We, we too, will sit and eat and drink with Jesus at his table in his everlasting uh, kingdom, and what a glorious day, what a glorious event that will be. Uh, and, and we learn that from other passages, but, but there is a unique role that the apostles are going to play here. 
uh, right? Um, also here, let me clear this up. The 12 tribes of Israel is mentioned here. Uh, that, that's an Old Testament term referring to the people of God as a whole, namely the church. Uh, we see the same thing in, in James 1.1. I read the first part of this a few minutes ago, but it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, okay? Uh, this letter didn't go out to the 12 tribes. It went to the church. It went to the people of God, uh, including Gentiles like most of us. And so that's an all-encompassing phrase just meaning the, the, the people of God. Now, the idea of the apostles sitting on thrones and judging here, we don't get a whole lot of information of what that looks like. Uh, but in some way, the apostles are going to have a, a place of authority, a unique role in the, in the government of Christ's eternal kingdom. I can't begin to explain what that looks like to you. Uh, I, we just see it here as a promise of the Lord to them. Now, at the heart, what I want you to see in this passage, though, is that, that Jesus is pointing out here, don't exalt yourself, I will be the one to exalt you. Uh, your loyalty, your service, he's telling them, that stuff, it's not going unnoticed. I don't, don't think that no one cares about that. <clears throat> it's, it's going to be noticed, and, and God's going to reward them in, in this way. Um, and, and, and then let's, let's bring this to a close, and I just want to start with, with a question, right? Circling back kind of to the service. If, if, if Jesus, your Lord, our Lord, says it's the person who serves that is true greatness, that, does that make you reevaluate your own system for judging greatness, your own evaluation even of yourself, you know, have I, have I sought greatness by God's standards? Uh, it, it does me, because let, let's be honest, we, we don't always want to serve, do we? <clears throat> I mean, not always. There's times where like, I love to serve in some ways, right? I, I don't know about your house, but I know in, in, in our house, when, when Laura bakes fresh baked cookies, right, and she needs a taste tester, uh, Four people show up just immediately. They just materialize there instantly. I will, I will serve, um, right? And I'll serve for all of them too. But when the, the dog, you know, poops in the yard, there ain't nobody lining up for that. Nobody wants to serve that way. Um, nowhere to be found. Listen, if we only serve in ways we enjoy, we, we probably haven't fully understood the call of Jesus to be servants. Now, that's not to say you're not going to get joy from serving in a way that you don't enjoy in and of itself, right? Um, but sometimes we, we, we're called to serve in ways that we might not be our, it might not be warm cookies ready to be eaten. It, it, you know, in the famous works of, of P.J. O'Rourke, uh, everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mom clean the dishes. Christian, I, I want you wrestling with a question this week, today. What does it look like for me to serve others in Christ's name? What does that look like? Where, where are the places? Where are the ways? What, what does it look like to serve my spouse, to serve my, my children, to serve my parents, to serve my coworkers, my, my dorm mates, to, to serve my community, to, to serve on post, and, and so on? And you're going to find some of these things are, are simple ways. It might be as simple as the next time you're walking, you know, and you're stepping over trash on the ground, you're like, that's gross. I hope someone cleans that up. You, you pick it up and you put it in the trash. I mean, that's a really simple, not obvious way maybe uh, to just serve your community. Uh, here at church, right, you can sign up for the setup or cleanup team. You can make snacks for your small group uh, so your leader doesn't have to all the time. You can, you can sign up for the nursery. I know that is the, like, the, the bottom. Like, that is, like, 
the highest level of serving, because if I've learned anything over almost 20 years of ministry, that's the last place people tend to want to sign up for. Um, I'm not really trying to guilt you over that. I'm just saying there are ways to, to serve in that way. Now, it, it also might look like coming in here on Sunday morning and just talking to a visitor, talking to someone you see sitting alone today instead of just people you know where, where it's comfortable, just serving by stepping out of your, your comfort zone that way. Now, at home, it might be the attitude that you return from, from work with, uh, right? You, you, you pull into the driveway, you're exhausted from the day, you're tired. The last thing you want is any more responsibilities at, at that moment. But, but what if you ask God through prayer for, for strength to serve in that moment? Kids, you know, ask your parents, what are, what are ways you can serve around the house? I'm sure they will have quite a list for you. Parents, be reasonable. Uh, <clears throat> maybe just cleaning up that, that dog poo instead of arguing for 10 minutes that it's really not your turn to do it this time. Uh, maybe it's just having a, a joyful attitude. And this is the big one. Maybe it's an area you're already serving in and the major change that, that just brings it under you know, the lordship of Christ is, is that you do so joyfully instead of bitterly and complaining and upsetly, right? Upsetly, that's not a word. Um, right? Mothers, fathers, children, everyone with a boss ever, do you need a more Christ-like attitude when serving? The other thing is to look for ways to serve around you. I, uh, our, our mind was blown once with these high school students. We, are, we, uh, we, we, uh, we did youth ministry before in Kansas City, and, and the students were great. They would always be willing to help. If you ask them, you move that and carry that, whatever. They would always jump in, joyfully do it, no problem. Uh, but our mind was blown one day because a, a high school student, a girl named Emily Curry, uh, just sees something, and I can't even remember what it was. She just starts cleaning it or moving it, whatever it was, and we were just like, Nobody asked her to do that. She just saw a problem and jumped in and started helping and, and just mind blown that she could see a problem begin and begin serving in that way. Uh, and I, I'll just encourage you, look around you when you see ways to serve and, and jump in, right? Be, because that, that's who we are in Christ. We're, we're servants. We need to be really guiding our minds towards looking for that. Uh, so, so be asking also, what would it look like for me to serve at church, at home, at work, in the community, to serve your, your friends, your, your dorm mates, your actual neighbors, you know, guy three doors down, whatever that might look like. Now, um, all right, so you, you, if you can make it to small group today, there's only one happening before the next sermon next week. Uh, if you can make it, do so, because this is a passage that really needs to be discussed, to be worked out, to, to really think through. Uh, and so if you can do that, if, if not, the questions that we use at small group for discussion will, will be on our website in half an hour. Uh, get those. Discuss those with someone, with your husband, with your, your, some guy next to you. I mean, whoever you came here with, discuss it with someone just to have that conversation. You begin to flesh out what might this actually look for us. And I, and I really mean that because it is so easy for us to come in every week and you hear a sermon like, ah, oh, that was good, that was bad, that was boring. It was, you know, a critique it in that sense and then nothing changes. We don't ever think, how does it actually connect with my life? I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, so discuss it. Uh, and finally, Christian, let us strive for greatness. Do strive for greatness. But, but let it be true greatness as our Lord defines it in his word, the greatness that includes serving others. Um, all right, let's pray. Father, we, we don't seek out places of lowliness very often. And we, we do not wish to serve members of our families or brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we do not often 
wish to give our time or our money in the service of neighbors or even friends. Jesus, thank you for not being like us. Thank you for emptying yourself. Thank you for serving us on the cross. Thank you for all that you do. Holy Spirit, we we ask as we always ask, make us more like Jesus. Teach us to find rest in him and and joy in him. Teach us to serve willingly and, and joyfully. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.